So today, the Advent candle that we lit was the one of peace. And I thought about how important peace is to our lives. And the, I've known people that had great wealth but had no peace. And so it's something you can't buy. It's something that you can't find on your own, that you can't acquire for yourself. It's something that only he can give. And so today, with that in mind, I want to preach to you for just a while on this topic. The storms only peace can still. Would you say it with me? The storms only peace can still. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your love and your goodness. I thank you, God. And Father, you bring peace into our lives. It's something we can't even describe. But it changes us from within. I pray, Father, Lord, that each of us might experience that today. God, that we feel your hand tangible in our life. And we'll give you all the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever been in a storm before? A storm that made you nervous? One that caused you to become apprehensive and not know, and I'm talking about literal storm, not, not know exactly what was going to happen. When I was a kid, I remember my dad ushering us all into the living room because a storm came up and we had a tree, a big tree that sat right at the corner of the back of our house. And when the storm came up, dad watched that tree move like this. And he immediately made us all get to the front of the house. And before that storm was over, one of the neighbors told me about it later. He said, I was looking out my window and I looked into your yard and I saw that tree falling. And instead of it falling into the house, it fell straight across our yard. It couldn't have been laid out any more perfect if someone had been hired to do it. And God delivered us from that storm. There are some storms that only peace can still. I thought about the history of storms and what they've done. I remember being on a cruise ship one time and uh, it, it wasn't a big storm, but we had some waves. And Debbie was starting to feel the effects of it. She was walking around with patches on. And uh, I, I was, you know, commenting, to, I, I don't need those patches. I can't believe, you know, I don't need any patch until I got to the upper part of the ship where the rec room was. And I got on an elliptical and I was running on the elliptical and there was a window right in front of me. And as I looked out that window, we were going like this, and I was going like this. And pretty soon they both met. And I ran into the bathroom and found myself hugging the floor, dry heaving, because a storm caused something inside of me. There was a ship in the cargo industry that was known as the Edmund Fitzgerald. It had made 748 voyages. It had logged over a million miles. 
it was known as the American Pride flag. They, this ship had won countless awards for tonnage and shipping. And then in 1975, on November 7th, it started off on a voyage on Lake Superior. It was carrying 26,000 tons of iron ore. That's when it found itself caught in a storm that was so intense that its captain radioed in and said it's one of the worst seas he'd ever seen. At 7.10, the captain of the Fitzgerald communicated with another captain of the Arthur M. Anderson. That was a ship that was 10 miles behind them. The Fitzgerald captain reported, we got damage, but we're holding our own. They were 14 miles from a safe harbor. 7.10 was their last radio communication. Five minutes later at 7.15, the Edmund Fitzgerald had vanished from the face of the sea with its 29 crewmen. For years, people speculated at what happened. Some believed that the ship's cargo had shifted and caused the ship to list and go down and, and, and hit the bottom and break apart. But in, nine, or in 2018, two men gathered together and they started to investigate this and they looked at radio communications that happened between the two captains. They examined the vessel on the bottom of that lake's floor and they discovered that what happened, and according to the captain of the Anderson, a rogue wave had hit them. And it came up over them, and he said it was monstrous. It was green water just came crashing down on them. It was followed by another one. And then they watched that wave head toward the Fitzgerald that was already damaged. They believe that those two waves hit that ship unexpectedly, and when it did, because of the load that that ship was carrying, it made the vessel break apart and caused the ship and the crew to be lost. Ninety minutes of peace would have brought them home safely. Ninety minutes of just a peaceful sea is all they needed to get home. There are some storms that only peace can still. I thought about the Fitzgerald and what she went through, and it reminded me of another storm and another ship. It's found in Scripture, and the only reason the outcome of this ship is different than the Fitzgerald is because of one of the passengers on board. Mark 4, 36 to 37, it says, So they took Jesus in the boat. Everybody say, Jesus was in the boat. They took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up, high waves breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. When I was in Israel and I was sailing across that Sea of Galilee, and they call it a sea, but it looks like a lake. It's... It's not, it's not like we would fathom a sea. And I'm standing there and I'm thinking, there were grown men, seasoned sailors, that were on a boat out here, and they began to cry out for their lives. And, you know, and it was so calm and peaceful. And so I started talking to the guide, and I said, can you explain that to me? And he talked about it. He said, look around you. 
He said, these mountains that surround this body of water, he said, there are winds that come off of those mountains that are unseen. And they come up in a moment and they can turn this body of water into your worst nightmare. That's what happened to those sailors that night. That boat was tossing back and forth and they feared for their lives. And Mark 4, 38 to 41, it says, but he was in the stern. Jesus was in the stern asleep on a pillow. These guys are being tossed all over the place and Jesus is sleeping. Reminded me of a time we were traveling and going to a revival and I got lost. I, I, I thought I was where I was supposed to be and turned in to what I thought was a church parking lot. Realized I was in the wrong place and started to back out and drop the nose of our car. And if my wife hadn't screamed, I couldn't tell that we were falling. And the nose of our car dropped off in a ditch and I threw it in park and now our car's up like this and I'm trying to go get help and Debbie's there with the children and all of a sudden Bethany started to get excited and she started crying and Debbie said, honey, it's all right, just, just pray to Jesus. And she said, I think he's sleeping. <laughs> Have you ever been there where you're in a storm and you feel like he's sleeping and here you read about it? Well, th that could get you aggravated if you didn't understand a little bit better. See, this is what this really means. It doesn't matter how bad the storm is that's going on in your life. It'll never worry God. God's got it well in control. He's able to take care of it. He can sleep in the midst of a storm because he's the one that can control it. They began to try and wake him. They said to him, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace. Everybody say it with me, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, how can this be that even the wind and sea obey him how could he still a storm on a raging sea by just speaking the word peace to it the word peace here in the greek means involuntary stillness inability to speak I want you to hear me. He didn't just say peace to that storm. What that word peace literally means is shut your mouth. Involuntary stillness. That storm didn't want to stop. You think that the devil likes it when storms in your life are shut down by a mighty God? He doesn't want those storms to shut down. But when Jesus speaks peace, it has to. He said, just, just shut your mouth. Involuntary silence. Inability to speak. We need Jesus to speak peace to our storms. Because there are some storms that only peace can still. Somebody say, peace. The storm that the Edmund Fitzgerald found itself in, that separated that ship 
it was caused because of the load that it carried and the stress it was under. And I thought about how that is so like our lives, that the stress and the load that we're under try and take us apart. Turn around, look at your neighbor and say, I feel the storm. Have you ever felt it? Oh, you can feel it literally, right, when you're in a literal storm. But what about when you're in a spiritual storm and it robs you of sleep and you find yourself popping pills trying to calm down? I get it. I understand that sometimes uh, what's around you uh, is tearing you up on the inside. Uh, but I'm telling you, it's not a capsule that you need. Uh, there's someone else uh, that can take care of that storm, someone else that can still that storm for you. The storm of sin and shame that raged in our hearts because of the sin that we carried created a wall between us and God that separated us. That was never God's intent. When you look at Ephesians 1, verses 4 and 5, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. The Bible says that he was a lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. What's that mean? It means that God already knew we were going to mess up. God already knew we were going to blow it. He already knew that this, there would be a storm that would separate us, a wall that would be erected between us, but he made provision to take care of that storm and to tear down that wall. It's what he wanted, and it gave him pleasure to do it. Everybody say, he enjoyed. Well, that's almost everybody. Let's try it one more time. He enjoyed tearing down the wall. Did you ever, did you ever notice, have any of you ever been in demolition before? Have you ever done any demolition? Isn't demolition a lot more fun than construction? Construction, you got to measure, you got to be careful, you got to make sure you got, measure twice, cut once. Measure once, cut twice. You got to make sure that it's in, 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 you know, level and, and everything's right. And, but for destruction, just give me a hammer. Just, just give me a hammer and I'll, and I'll go after it. But you, you understand that we're made tough. Oh, come on. I said we're made tough. We're made in the image of God. We carry the likeness of God. You're not no pushover. God made us tough. I've got a house I live in. It's built in 1870. And I'm going to tell you, that house is built tough. It's like a fort. We were getting ready to remodel the bathroom. I was getting ready for demolition. We had a wall, an interior wall. I grabbed a hammer, and I thought, buddy, here we go. I grabbed that hammer and went. <laughs> I thought, what in the world did I just hit? I found out that the interior walls were tongue and groove on both sides. 
that they were made with two by fours that were rough cuts. They'd never been finished. It was a true two by four. I had to go get a crowbar. I had to get a sledgehammer. It took me all. You need to understand, God didn't make us a pushover. He made us to last. He built us tough. He made us in his image. And that wall that was built trying to separate us, he knew how to get it down. Look at Ephesians 2, verse 1 through 3. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. Turn around, look at your neighbor and say, he's talking about you. Your, look at him, say, your many sins. Go, look at him. Your many sins. Now turn around, look at him and say, he's talking about me too. <laughs> let, let, me, let me show you this. He said, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world obeying the devil the commander of the powers in the unseen world he is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey god all of us used to live that way all of us take a look up here the guy preaching to you today used to live like that if you get up to leave right now i'm running after you because you live like that too what are you saying? The Bible said, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. The devil wanted to separate us. He wanted to build that wall between us, a partition, something that divides. It was a constant reminder of we can't do it. We can't make it. We're not good enough. But something happened to that wall. There are some storms that only peace can still, and there are some walls that only peace can bring down. I, I thought, you remember everything that happens in the natural world has a spiritual correlation. 1961 was a very good year. That's the year I was born. <laughs> but in 1961, something else happened that wasn't so good. In 1961, Russia erected a wall and divided a city in two separating families and friends from one another, West and East Berlin. In a moment, people were separated from their families, and when they tried to flee, they were gunned down in cold-blooded murder. Think about this. The wall, the Russians didn't build the wall to keep the enemy out they build it to keep the people in because everyone wanted to flee that oppression. Do you understand the wall that the devil creates and divides? It's, it's not to try and keep others out. It's try to keep us in, to keep us confined to the guilt and the shame that we feel and the burden that we bear, the load that we carry underneath that. But something happened in 1987 that would begin to pave a way for this wall to come down 
June 12. Take a look. General Secretary Gorbachev, if you seek peace, if you seek prosperity for the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe, if you seek liberalization, come here to this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, open this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Two years later, in 1989, something would happen that no one could quite explain. Margaret Thatcher laid the credit to Ronald Reagan and his speech and his stance against the Soviet Union. In 1989, the people rose up and started tearing down the wall of Berlin. Stone by stone, bit by bit, it started to crumble and they could not stop it. It made me think, I, I wonder if Reagan understood what Jesus did. You see, you can't, you can't bring down walls with soft words. Bringing down walls take bold action. Look at Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. Or I'm sorry, look at Ephesians 2 and 14. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. Everybody say peace. peace. Reagan started his speech with Mr. Gorbachev, if you seek peace. Here it says that Christ himself brought peace to us. How? He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. What are you saying? I'm saying that the wall that was built against us, that the devil used to try and separate us, Christ himself came and tore that wall down when he gave himself a sacrifice on Calvary's cross, and it brought peace to us. What had separated us no longer separated us. But the devil still tries to play that game in your mind. He tries to make you believe that you're still separated in your mind. Do you understand it wasn't your work that brought the wall down? It wasn't that what we did that brought that wall down. It was what he did that brought the wall down. It's the price he paid that caused it to fall. The Greek word there for peace means to set at one again, quietness and rest. There are some storms that only peace can still and some walls that only peace can tear down. Thank God today we can not only know peace, but we can know the prince of it. 
Isaiah 9 and 6 for, says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. That's why he came. He came so we could be together again. What does Isaiah said then? He'll bring forth a child. He'll be called Emmanuel, God with us. Christ came to set us at peace again with God. He's able to steal the storms in our life to take down the walls that separate and divide us. We didn't do it. Turn around, look at your neighbor and say, you didn't do that for me. Now, now look at him and say, and I didn't do it for you. I couldn't do it for you. I didn't have the ability to set us at one with God again. Well, how did it happen? Ephesians 2 and 8 says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. Everybody say, his masterpiece. Oh, you, you, you. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Can I tell you something? When we were messed up and away from God and didn't have any thought of God, God looked at us and he didn't say, what am I going to do with those people? He didn't say, you know what, I'm just, I, I've tried and I've tried to get them to serve me. They won't listen to me, so I'm just going to write them off. No, he just smiled and he said, you just wait. I'm going to bring them in. I've got a plan. They've got a purpose. And I'm going to fulfill my plan and their purpose in one moment. And it's because of Christ. Everybody say, because of Christ. His masterpiece. Made in the image of God. There's a story told of a gentleman that during the 1920s and 30s, he amassed great wealth. And because of that wealth, he, he began to buy paintings. He was an art lover and he, bought, he didn't just buy any paintings. This guy owned paintings from the masters. He, Rembrandt lined his wall. Da Vinci and Van Gogh. Monet was a part of his collection. And he was known for all that artwork. His wife had died and he had a son, and just one son, and so he collected art. Then the war broke out. When World War II broke out, he met his son. His son was at drafting age, and he told his boy, he said, look, you're not going to have to worry about the draft. With my wealth and influence, you'll never be drafted. And the boy looked at him, and he said, Father, he said, I've already volunteered. His father's mouth dropped open, and he looked at Why? Why would you do that? He said, Dad... He said, I love this country, and I want to fight for, 
freedom. He said, I've already joined. And after some talking, and he, the father saw he could not talk his son out of it, so he hugged him, and they said their goodbyes. Eleven months later, a knock came at the man's door. When the maid went and opened the door, she saw two men dressed in uniforms. They asked to see the boy's father. They handed him a letter and told them he could be proud because his son died defending the freedoms of his country. The man's world became very dark. He almost became a hermit, and the maid began to worry about him and fret, and the war finally ended, and years went by, and Sometime later, another knock came at the man's door, and it was another soldier in uniform. And the maid opened the door and looked, and the man said, I'd like to speak to, and he called the boy's father by name. He said, I knew his son. I was in the army with him. The man immediately came out and invited the boy in, and they sat and they began to talk. The young man carried a portrait covered with a cloth, and he set it down as he talked to the gentleman, and he shared with him, he said, your, your son was so giving, and he, he always looked out for others. He said, I was with him the day he fell in battle, and he got up and he picked up the painting, and he removed the canvas and revealed a portrait of the young boy in his uniform. It was a little crude, but it bare a remarkable resemblance to the man's son. And he said, this is what he looked like the day he died. At that moment, that painting became the man's most prized possession. He set it in a prominent place in his home and had it on display, and any time guests came in, he introduced them to his son. Several years passed, and the man died, and his estate went up for auction. Art collectors from around the world were notified, and they came. They traveled thousands of miles to have a chance to own one of the masters. They came in, and the auction start, began to start. The auctioneer came to the front, and he carried with him the portrait of the man's son. And he said, what are my bids for this painting? And the collectors began to laugh, and they said, we don't, we're not bidding on that. Come on, let's get on with the real auction. Is this some kind of joke? But the auctioneer was persistent, and he continued to demand that they bid on that painting. And they started to chide the auctioneer. We didn't travel thousands of miles to bid on that piece of junk. Bring out the masterpieces. And finally, the maid stepped from around the corner. She'd heard what was going on, and she called from the back, and she said, I'll give $20 for that painting. The auctioneer looked, and he said, $20 going once, $20 going twice, $20 sold, and he brought the gavel down. The rest of the people cheered, and they said, all right, now let's get on with the real auction. But they watched as the auctioneer began to gather his things, and he grabbed his attache case and started to leave the premises. The collectors looked and said, wait, where are you going? 
We've come to bid on the masterpieces. We're ready now. And he said, this auction has come to a close. He said, because it was written in the will, whoever takes the son takes it all. Whoever takes the son takes it all. And he walked out. I'm telling you, you hear me today. If you want to know peace, then take Jesus. If you want to know his love, then accept him. Because whoever takes the son takes it all. Would you stand with me today? Traveling, I came upon a sign outside of a church and it said K-N-O-W peace no peace and underneath it K-N-O-W no Jesus no peace no Jesus but underneath that was written N-O peace no peace N-O, Jesus, no Jesus. Wow. People search this world over trying to find peace, and you're never going to find it apart from him because he's the prince of it. You may find something to occupy your time and to satisfy you for a moment, but lasting peace the kind of peace that can make you lay your head down in a ship when a storm is raging can only come from him. The kind of peace that can cause you to raise your hands and worship God when you are locked behind iron bars can only come from knowing him. You may feel like, well, man, I messed up and I've gone too far and my life is all messed up, but you can ask Ray today about men that are in prison that have come to know him, <laughs> that have come to love him. And in the midst of that environment, uh, there's a smile on their face, uh, there's a song in their heart, uh, and there's a skip in their step because of Jesus. That storm that's raging, trying to take you under, let him speak peace to it. And watch how quick that storm shuts its mouth. Watch how quick he silences it. Those walls that have tried to divide and separate you and tried to isolate you and cause you to feel like you're lost and alone, cry out to Jesus and see how quickly those walls come falling down because whoever takes the sun takes it all when you take the sun you find shelter from the storm when you take the sun walls of hostility and separation are destroyed and when you take the sun you find a peace that passes all understanding how many here today will boldly declare, I'll take the sun. I want Jesus. In front of God and everyone watching in this building and everyone watching online, I say openly, honestly, and unashamedly, give me Jesus. Give me 
Jesus. I've got to have him. I can't make it without him. I was lost and under. You see me up here standing behind a pulpit, a preacher. You didn't see me when I wasn't on behind the pulpit. You didn't know me when I was lost and undone, when I was running and rousing. But he did. And he refused to leave me the way he found me. So here's my question for you today. Are you ready to say yes to Jesus? If you are, I want you to come to the front of this building right now. Just right now. And you say, well, I've already said yes. To which question? Maybe you said, yes, Lord, I want to serve you. But you haven't yet said yes to surrender. Some folks invite him into their heart, but they never let him in their home. So when you say yes, it's got to be across the board. Yes. Yes, you, you, you can do whatever you want. When God deals with your heart, it's good to know that you don't have to wrestle with the answer. It's good to know that you don't have to say, well, God, let me pray about it and I'll get back to you. It's good to know that you've made up your mind at the beginning, whatever he asked me, the answer is yes. Whatever he wants, the answer is yes. So today as you raise your hands with me right now, see this isn't an exercise in, in religion. This is a reality in faith. I trust you. I believe in you. And let me share this with you. The only ship that you're safe in when there's a storm is the one Jesus is in. There was another ship in another storm that was getting rocked and they were about to go under. And Jesus came walking on the water. I love this part because the Bible said that when he stepped into the ship, immediately they were at shore. The storm that they had been in ended immediately the same way yours is getting ready to come to an end right now. Just stretch your hand to heaven to me. So here I am, Jesus. I accept you. I receive you right now as my Lord and Savior. I invite you into my heart. Come and pilot this ship. My heart is yours. My heart is yours. Take it all. Take it all. My life in your hands. My heart is yours. My heart is yours. Take it all. Take it all. My
Christmas season, season of Advent. We light candles each week symbolizing different things. Last week it was hope. This week, peace. Next week, we'll shine the light of joy. But it's not about once a year or a season. It's about carrying him and walking in that peace and hope all year long. It's about when storms come, knowing that you serve the one that can shut the storm's mouth. It's when you feel walls begin to build up. And how many of you know sometimes we help build them? We give him building material, our disappointment, our bitterness, our disillusionment, and the walls begin to go up. But he came and brought us peace, and through his death, tore those walls down. So this is what I'm here to declare to you today. You can walk in peace. You can live in freedom when you invite Jesus into your boat. <laughs> Amen. When you make him the captain of your ship, it changes everything. Come on, give him a hand clap of praise in this house today. God bless you. We love you. My heart is yours. My heart is yours. Take it all. Take it all.
online. Those of you, those of you that have signed up for next steps, you're going to be meeting in the conference room. Pastor Ray is going to be conducting that class for me. We'll be having play practice in here. There's uh, sandwiches for you in the conference room.